Boxing is a unique Olympic sport. It's the only sport in the summer or the winter games where winning a gold medal isn't the highest and the greatest thing you can do. Sure, it's hard, it's incredibly difficult, it's a fantastic achievement for any athlete to win an Olympic gold medal. But unlike all the other sports, once a boxer wins a gold medal, he's got somewhere else to go. He's got the professional game. Is that a lot or do you think that's ideal preparation? No, that's ideal preparation. I think we should be boxing on a regular basis. That's the way you get better, that's the way you uh, pick up things and get to know opponents. So definitely it's the right pre uh, preparation. I expected eight of us to uh, qualify for Olympics. Everyone still says uh, it could be a big fluke or whatever it can be. But time it gets there, I can tell you, eight of us will be bringing medals back. You've all got a bit of attitude, is that fair assessment? You've all got a little bit of something. None of you want to lose. It's friendship. We're that close as friends and once one of us does well, the other has got to follow. And when we all get together and we're like, all drawn and we're boxing, we'll get together and just sit there and have a good chat about it and talk through and we're all there for one another sort of thing. It's good really, what the team is. Hey and welcome to the Beautiful Boxing Podcast. I think today is one for the hardcores. So if you're more interested in the shenanigans about Matchroom and Frank Warren and Wild and Fury, this is not going to be the one for you. I think one of the beautiful things about doing a podcast is it's moments like this you can be a bit self-indulgent, although it's not self-indulgent because this is just a response to a, a listener's question. So I got a message from Charlie Fletcher, so he'll know this is about him now. And he asked a very simple question, quite wordy, but it's fine. I, I, I get where he was coming from with this. And his question essentially is this. Why is it that people seem to make the jump from the, the lesser levels of their sport, the minor leagues of their sport, to the major leagues? And in boxing, it seems that we make a big deal about the leap from amateur to pro. And look, it's a question I imagine everyone asks when you hear supposed experts telling you, yeah, they're completely different sports, this, that, and the third, right? And so today I'm just going to do a podcast covering, you know, what that jump really is and why it might be difficult for some people and not for others. So I think answering this question will make more sense if I make reference to the 2008 Olympics and the event in and around there because there are enough names there that if you're a hardcore boxing fan you will know who they are and you'll know what they went on to achieve so I'll be able to make good explanations by reference to those guys and I genuinely believe that 2008 was the best year in British amateur boxing by some distance and we've never replicated it so what's fascinating about the 2008 squad is that there are names that you really know and there are names that you really don't know, which kind of shows that schism between those who really crack it as pros and those that don't. But, you know, sometimes you've got to dig in the archives and remember who was actually involved and, you know, what was the general vibe of the squad in 2008 and how it contrasts with where we're at in 2019. 
we're all like scallies going to Beijing to fight on the telly type of thing. You know what I mean? We, we do all like on our dance and we like and go out, we'll go out and have a drink and have a lab. We're just normal lads. <laughs> and I guess, you know, David Price says it perfectly. Uh, the squad Terry Edwards assembled was pretty much a bunch of normal lads. No personality profiling. If you could box really well, you tended to get in. You know, so who was in... Who was in that squad? Who represented Britain in Beijing? You know, it's hard for some people, especially those guys who are newer to the sport, and there'll be people who go, actually, do you know what? I was too young to be around during the Olympics. And there were some who were like, I wasn't interested in the sport back then. Fair enough. But it's usually, you know, it, there's value in actually just a quick roll call of who was in the squad at the time. David Price, super heavyweight, Salisbury Club in Liverpool, Commonwealth Games gold medalist. Tony Jeffrey, Sunderland, light heavyweight, European under-17 champion. James DeGaulle, middleweight, the Dow Youth Club in London, Shepherd's Bush, Commonwealth Games bronze medalist. Billy Joe Saunders, Hoddesdon, the world number one at welterweight for under-19. Bradley Saunders, South Durham, one of the heroes from Chicago, a bronze medal, light welter. And the hero of Chicago, World Amateur Championships, he won the gold medal, the first time ever a British boxer did it. He's from Hall Green in Birmingham, Frankie Gavin at Lightweight. Joe Murray, the baby, one of the babies in the team, Moss Side Club in Manchester, bronze medalist at the World Championships last year. He's a bantamweight. Khaled Yafai from the Birmingham City Club in the Midlands at Flyweight, trained by Frank Sullivan, the first boxer ever from Britain to win a world amateur title. And there you have it. The squad we, we were meant to take to the Olympics for 2008. And I say meant because the keen-eyed among you will realise that Frankie Gavin never made it to the Olympic tournament because he couldn't make the 60 kilogram limit. Park that for a second because that kind of helps explain why some people make it in the pros and why some people don't make it in the pros. But that's the squad you had, and I think that's the squad that stands the test of time. Stronger than we had in 2000, stronger than we had in 2004, easily stronger than we had in 2012, where there were a lot of hometown decisions, and easily stronger than we had in 2016, and it'll be stronger than we had in 2020. And I measure that in terms of skill, in terms of you know, ability to, to do damage, and this isn't you know, trying to be wise after the event, it was considered then to be a hell of a talented squad. If you consider that George Groves had to play second fiddle at 75 kilograms, where I think on current form, he'd walk into the squad at 75 kilograms. So, it's, you know, that's a really, really talented squad. So what's interesting about that squad is, you know, based on the lineup, so the pre-Olympic lineup splits neatly into two camps. The guys that we really, really know and the guys that we kind of know and go should have been a lot better. So if you look at the, the guys we really know, David Price, super heavyweight, everyone knows the career he's had, but he's still a kind of, you know, pretty much a main event draw. Maybe not pay-per-view, but a David Price fight can headline a Saturday night fight night. You then have James DeGale, who you know, probably as storied a career as you can have post-Olympics. Some highs, some lows. 
but considered to have a good career overall. Then you've got Billy Joe Saunders, and nothing needs to be said about Billy Joe. Everyone knows who Billy Joe is and what he's achieved. And then obviously Cal Yafai. So we have guys who, who are boxing at the top level. These are either all world champions or fringe contenders at that level. There's no question about that. You know, they've been talked about as potentially those guys. Then you split the other way and you go, you've got the other guys. So you've got Tony Jeffries. Tony Jeffries retired because of a hand injury. And, you know, to be as respectful as I can, but there was nothing prior to the hand injury that said, here's someone who's super special. But that's mainly because he's had hand injuries for a long time. So well before the 2008 Olympics. You have a similar issue with, and I want to say this, as carefully as I can. You have a similar issue with Bradley Saunders. So Bradley Saunders not only had hand issues, but also had an eye issue. So I think one of the muscles in his eye just didn't work anymore, so it wasn't safe for him to carry on boxing. So that's two out of the four explained through injury. So we don't really know what they could have become in the right environment because their hand injuries were well-known to promoters before they were signed. Then you've got Frankie Gavin. And I think the simplest way to say Frankie Gavin is no one has conspired to ruin their career more than Frankie Gavin. The fact that he didn't make weight for the Olympics tells you all you need to know about his career. So we all know that he's flattered to deceive and now he essentially serves as a jobber for up-and-coming talent. So don't be surprised if Conor Ben and Josh Kelly find themselves in the ring with a Frankie Gavin anytime soon. And then you, you look and you go, okay, so who's, you know, who's the fourth one? And it seems unfair to label Joe Murray as the fourth one because he had a reasonable career, but when you're an Olympian and you're considered to be one of the more talented aspects of him, bear in mind this guy made his debut in, not on a Hatton show, if I remember correctly. It was on a Hatton show. And just to compare and contrast, Scott Quigg was on that show. Scott Quigg had no amateur experience of note, definitely wasn't an Olympian, but Look at what Scott Quigg went on to do versus what Joe Murray went on to do. So you kind of say that Joe Murray's career just never took flight. And so you start to say, okay, what separates these guys? And in answering that, what you end up coming up with is, actually, there's a lot of luck that goes into this. So David Price, bronze medalist at the Olympics, you expected that, six foot eight, you know, well over 100 kilos, could punch like a mule. You know, all he needed was a one-two. And th these were the days of the clickers, so he didn't even have to have power. He just needed to use his reach and be mobile. And he was able to do that, you know, all the way to a bronze medal. You know, in one of those what-could-have-been moments, you wonder what he could have done with someone like a Deontay Wilder, for example. And then you look at or look at Billy Joe Saunders, who was unlucky in that he didn't really make it far into the brackets of the 2008 Olympics. You know, I think his, his behavior while away in Beijing or while on tour is notorious now. We don't need to go into those stories. But you can say that he wasn't as disciplined or as hungry as he could have been. And what was sad was the brackets were setting themselves up nicely for a semi-final between himself and Demetrius Andrade at 69 kilos which would have probably been one for the ages from a skill perspective. So Billy Joe kind of underperformed at the Olympics, but has performed to a really high level 
as a professional, but not at that elite level yet because he hasn't had that run of fights. And I think it's the same with Cal Yafai, except he was probably more disciplined about it. Cal's just been unlucky that he's in a weight division that's not fashionable in the United Kingdom. So it's very hard to sell him. You know, he hasn't really been able to sell out his home city of Birmingham. And it seems Eddie Hearn's been reluctant to put him in with the rest of the Superfly stars. So hopefully that will change soon and we'll start to see Cal Yafai in some meaningful fights because he's not getting any younger. And then it brings us to the the gold medalist, the jewel in the crown, the you know the man that got all the fanfare, James DeGale. And it's probably worth focusing in on James, and here's why. If you go back to 2008 and you say, who do people expect to win medals at the Olympics? In no particular order, Frankie Gavin was expected to win gold. Billy Joe was the number one ranked junior so people expected him to medal. He was talented enough to medal. Cal Yafai expected to medal. David Price, the big lump, expected to do well, maybe medal. No one was really talking of James DeGale like that. And this is where it gets interesting. So James DeGale, people were like, you were lucky to be in the squad because you got beaten by the guy in the podium squad who was George Groves. And there was a vocal contingent that wanted George to go to Beijing. He was the current ABA champion. You know, he'd already beaten James was in the amateurs. So the argument was, look, let him go. Let him go and build his legacy because on form, he's the best 75 kilo guy we have. But James had been in the system long and probably earned his place, you know, on tenure. And then now let's start to look at James. So James boxes at 75 kilograms, which is the amateur middleweight. And back to this thing about what separates good amateurs from good elite pros. So in, in James's bracket, and I'll, I'll keep it quite low because there were a few guys. So there was a man who's about to face Gennady Golovkin. So I think it's Sergei Derevchenko. If I've said it wrong, sorry. Matty Kobarov is in there as well. And bear in mind, this is the Matty Kobarov that was beating Sergei Kovalev in the amateurs. Badu Jack is in there as well. And also a man called Darren Sutherland. And I mentioned Darren Sutherland, A, because he's relevant to this discussion, but B, most importantly, this will be the 10th anniversary of his death. You know, he died sadly of suicide and still to this day people speak highly of what he could have become and what makes him special. But I'm going to use these names because I want to illustrate how they all had different profiles and then let's start to look at what they did as professionals. So... The first one to fall out the mix is Badu Jack. Badu Jack doesn't get out the preliminaries at all. He might have lost to Vijender Singh. Let that sink in. Yes, the same Vijender Singh that Frank Warren couldn't get to cross over. So here, here we go. We have this dichotomy between guys who look good in the amateurs but couldn't quite make it and guys that could. So if I'm correct, Vijender Singh won a bronze medal in, that, in those Olympics and only lost to, I want to say, Emiliano forget the surname, the Cuban guy, it might be Barros, who went on to box James again in the final. So Badu Jack loses to Vijender Singh. Badu Jack, 168 world champion, 175 world champion, conqueror of DeGale and George Groves. I know people say, but it was a draw, conqueror. Badu Jack 
loses to Vijender Singh. Convincingly, wasn't close, convincingly. Further down the brackets, James DeGale fights Darren Sutherland. So you've got the, the flashy DeGale who annoyed every coach who wasn't from Dale Youth and wasn't really expected to do well. So people expected Darren Sutherland to run over him. For no other reason, Darren Sutherland was physically mature. So stylistically, he was just able to, he was just stronger than everyone else and he was fitter and he was able to just bulldoze his way through most people. But I think this time James found that warrior spirit within him to win and to then set himself up for the final against the Cuban. Kobarov, Devryachenko fell out the mix. Just, were just, it felt almost like filler when you look at what happened in those Olympics. But we know what they've gone on to become, right? So of all of these, the biggest surprise at the moment is that Vijender Singh gets, a, gets close to a gold medal, gets that close to a gold medal and loses to a Cuban by three points. And in the amateurs, three points is absolutely nothing. Now look at who did what as a pro. So why is Korobov famous? To most boxing fans, Korobov's famous for losing to Andy Lee and losing to... Jamal Charla. Spectacular career? No. And I know people say that the Charla win was controversial, but he's had a middling career. It hasn't gone that far. You then look at Sergei Devryachenko and you say, what has he done? He's going to fight Golovkin and if he beats Golovkin, it puts him on another level. But that's a big ask. So I say this because at this point, now after the Olympics, if you're ranking the guys based on what happened in the Olympics... James is now number one, where before he wasn't. He was probably bottom of this list. So it's James DeGale. It's Darren Sutherland. I'm going to include Vijender Singh for comedy value here. You've got Vijender Singh. You've got Badu Jack. No, I'll rephrase it. You've got Vijender Singh, Korobov, Devryachenko, Badu Jack. Right. These are the guys you have. I'm going to drop some of these guys off because they're not as familiar and their careers aren't as story. So Kobarov, Korobov, and Devryachenko can drop out. And we're going to have DeGale, Sutherland, Vijender Singh, Bedou Jack. And so as we move on, we know the career James has had. But we now have to pull Darren Sutherland out at this point because unfortunately... He passes out, he passes away, sorry, in 2009 from a suicide. Clearly battling demons that not many knew about. And if you can find the YouTube tribute about Darren Sutherland, it's most educational and it'll make you go, I wonder what he would have been if he'd had time to develop. So we introduced George Groves at this point. I think it's fair. He's earned the right. And I couldn't have a DeGale conversation without a George Groves conversation. So after the Olympics, essentially now we draw the line between amateur and pro, right? And now we come to 2019 and we look at these same characters. Badu Jack has beaten James DeGale, has beaten George Groves. George Groves has lost to Badu Jack, but has beaten James DeGale. Sorry, Badu Jack drew with James DeGale. I'm just going to keep saying beat him because I can. DeGale lost to Badu Jack. You know, and he lost to George Groves in the amateurs and in the pros. So in their head-to-heads, Badu Jack is a guy that's 
clearly overachieved in this because he's come from seemingly nowhere. Bear in mind, he boxed for Gambia in the Olympics. He even boxed for his home country of Sweden. Why? Because they went with Kennedy Katende, who actually Joshua Boatsy beat in the 2016 Olympics. And I think they went with Babakar Kamara as well in the weight class above. So Badu Jack had to box for the land of his ancestors, which is Gambia. But he's the guy that's got the record over all of them. He's the guy that's the two-weight world champion. He's the guy that when you say, actually, of all these guys who cracked it, Badu Jack, in the bigger fights, in the more meaningful fights. James DeGale, two-time world champion, but only in one weight class. George Groves, one-time world champion. Vijender Singh falls off a cliff. So what happened? What happened? How did Badu Jack, who never had that promotional muscle behind him on his journey up the ladder, what made him special? And what helped him adapt to the pros better than seemingly the other guys did? And I think there are multiple elements. And so here's why I think the gap between amateur and pros is good for some people, bad for others. If we simplify boxing analysis across four dimensions, skill, strength, intelligence, and toughness, and we assess these guys in very crude terms against those, and you've got James, James DeGale, skill, toughness, and abundance. Power, kind of, intelligence, I'll leave you guys to judge that. Vijender Singh, skill, absolutely. Toughness, perhaps. No power, wasn't particularly strong, was reasonably intelligent in a boxing sense. But he was so underpowered that it was always going to be hard work for him at the top level where you have real savages. George Groves, intelligence, absolutely. Skill, kind of. Power, absolutely. Toughness, <sighs> kind of came later in his career. I think he'll admit that, where he had to get his mindset right. And then... You look at Badu Jack. Intelligence, absolutely. Skill, eh, kind of. Toughness, Jesus, yes. Power, eh, kind of. So there's no actual outstanding candidate. So then the question becomes, what differentiates them? And it's, it seems to be two things. Number one, there's the element of luck. That's why we've lost Tony Jeffries. That's why we've lost Bradley, Bradley Price in this discussion. So there's that luck. Are you in the right place at the right time? Badu Jack was smart enough to get himself to Las Vegas and created opportunity for himself, and so he had good promotion behind him. James probably didn't get that until he went to America and got the Andre Durrell fight. And George has been unlucky promotionally because you wonder if he had had a solid promoter backing him from day one, what would he have achieved? And then Vijender Singh, he was just an excuse to make money in India for promoters, and I think his career has reflected that now where people are just looking for him to open up the Indian market. So then let's, let's go back down to it. So it's not these tangible things like intelligence. It's not these, me not necessarily measurable, but they're kind of quantifiable things, strength, power, intelligence. It's not really that. What makes a difference between amateur and pro is actually probably simpler than that. It's that in the amateurs, you're only going for three rounds. Sometimes it's four twos, but generally three three-minute rounds. That means you'll always be fit enough to do what you need to do. And the only key test actually in amateur boxing is 
do you have that mental presence to execute your skill set? No matter what the occasion, no matter what the stress. A lot of people do. Because in your head you can say, I've only got 15 minutes of hell. And the hell's not going to be that bad because you've got 12 ounce gloves with the padding cambered towards the knuckles. So you're not really going to get hurt from a punch. You might get hurt from a clash of heads because there are no head guards, but generally you're going to live to fight another day. So actually amateur boxing, you can be really good at amateur boxing if you just have skill, speed and a bit of intelligence. You don't need to have an iron chin. You don't need to be super powerful. You can go a long way. But the problem you make then is trying to extrapolate 12 round success from 3 round success. All you need to do is look at the guys that win things like prize fighter, Guys that win things like the ultimate boxer. That doesn't make them potential champions. You know, because 12 rounds is completely different. So now in the professional ranks, what you have is 10 ounce gloves. And number one, do not punch a hard, don't punch a heavy bag with 10 ounce gloves. You don't want to do that. And in the lower weight classes, it's eight ounces. You will do yourself so much damage, you know. If your gym's got those really old school bag mitts, you know, the ones, they used to be like Lonsdale's. And they're really, they look like they're from the 1950s. That's what eight ounce gloves feel like when you hit. <laughs> Not great for your knuckles. So that changes the dynamic because every punch hurts more. Every punch hurts a lot more. And you're getting hit by guys who, now that they're professional, they understand how to hit you. Where to hit you. And with which part of the glove to hit you. So you're not getting hit with four knuckles and four fingers. Sometimes you're just getting hit with two knuckles. Sometimes just one knuckle. So the pain factor increases. And that can drain your reserves. And some people just aren't tough like that. And boxing finds it out over the years. You just Sometimes you're just not tough like that. But I don't think you can level that at James DeGale. I don't think you can level that at Badu Jack. They were definitely tough enough. Their chins held up for long periods of their career. So then you look at, is the gloves. Then it's the distance. So guys look good in four rounders. Guys look good in six rounders. Then when you get to the eight rounders and the 10 rounders, you start to see the, the cream separate from the milk. And when people say, why is that the case? I say, I'll go back to what my friend Andre Sterling said when he fought Kurt Garvey. And he said, for the first half of the fight, for the first five rounds of it, he could stick to his boxing and he felt nice. And he was like, from round six on, it was just about how bad I wanted it. It was about how much dog I had in me. Because I couldn't keep my skill level up for the whole 10 rounds. So the bits where I could be skillful, I was skillful. And the bits where I wasn't able to be skillful, I had to be tough. And I think if you talk to most pros, that's the discussion you have. There comes a point when it's not about your technical skills. It's just about how bad you want it and about how tough you are. And you can be tough over four rounds. Fewer can be tough over six. Even fewer over eight. And if you're really able to be tough over 12 rounds, you probably deserve a title. And these are the things people don't understand. So that's what makes it tough. In the amateurs, you can have a, you can have a quick blast out. You throw so many punches that arms get crossed up and you know you don't really get hit clean very often in the amateurs unless you're against someone really good whereas in the pros 
you're getting hit clean a lot. Your ribs are getting hurt, your arms are getting hurt, your head's getting hurt. Everything gets hurt because the gloves are so small. So the, the, so the big adjustment actually is in the intangibles. Because you can get fit enough. You can get strong enough. You can get skillful enough. But then it's about how bad you want it. Which is pretty much the difference between amateur. How bad do you want it? Sometimes like Frankie Gavin, you show pretty early that you just want to coast. You want to coast on your skills and get away with it. James DeGale started to show that later in his career when he thought he could get away a lot more with just being more skillful than the other guy and being tougher. And then I think after the Badu Jack fight, you know, that began to evaporate as seen with Caleb Truax. So he wasn't disciplined. Badu Jack was. This is another element about procreation. Pro pro careers you have to be able to sustain a high level of performance a high level of concentration dedication and discipline even when you don't have a fight you can't let yourself go crazy you can't be caught in Marbella misbehaving you can't get caught in Ibiza misbehaving because number one you give your opponents hope number two you just do damage to yourself so a pro career is merely an aggregation of all your habits and all the things that you do so that's what makes it tough as well. And that's why when people, when people say they're different sports, they're not different sports. They're the same sport that places different demands, whether you're an amateur or a pro. Completely different demands. And some people just aren't designed for the adaptation. And that's fine. You know, it's not fair to hold that against people, but it's a, it's a tough adaptation to make. So in essence, that, that's what makes it hard. Is Over a 12-round fight, you have to be a very special person to survive that. Survive the camp, survive the fight itself. And then you have to be an even more special person to win when you're hurting in the 12th round and everyone hurts after a good few rounds of sparring. But it's like, can you still stick to your guns? Do you want it more than the other guy? And essentially, that's the difference. And that's why some guys crack it and that's why some guys don't. Yes, having the right promoter helps, having the right manager helps. Being lucky with injuries definitely helps because days missed in the gym, as Jake Ball's finding out, can catch up with you. You know, guys like Craig Richards, Andre Sterling, physically robust, they don't tend to get injured. Joshua Bartzi, don't hear about him getting injured. Lerone Richards, these guys don't leave the gym. And so they always grow, they're continuously developing. And these are all these differences because... In the amateurs, you can get away with it. You can get away with being skillful. But you can't get away with being unfit. You can't get away with being lazy in the pros. So I don't think it's any different from any other sport. I think the... I'd probably argue that amateur boxing is a better predictor of elite level success than success in other sports. So, as an example, I think if you run down the list of world champions from heavyweight all the way down, most of them have been pretty good amateurs. So, Wilder, Olympian. Joshua, Olympian. Usyk, Olympian. Uh, Marcus Brown's lost now, hasn't he? So, Pascal, Commonwealth Games, I think he might have done an Olympic Games. Gavodchik, Olympian. Baturbi of Olympian. Kovalev, any other country, is an Olympian, but was a high-level amateur. Billy Joe, Olympian. 
And so you can go on like this, Golovkin. You know, except you know, people say, oh, but Canelo wasn't true. And you've got to give, you, give him his due. But he's a child prodigy. And he was doing elite level stuff when he was younger. He was, he was, he was a pro before he needed to be. But in, in essence, I'd say 80% of the world champions were really good amateurs. So that's a really good predictor of, you know, if you're a good amateur, you will probably make it to the top of the sport. I don't think football's that predictive. Mainly because everything's age group based. Until you're finally paid to do something and then you start mixing with adults. In the amateurs, you can be 18 years old and box against a 38 year old. And so that makes a big difference. Rugby, it's not safe to have an 18-year-old and a 38-year-old play. The physical disparity is too much. So you play with the age group a lot. And this is why English rugby struggles now. Because the youngsters are only playing with other youngsters. And then one day, boom, they have to play with the grown men. And they're just not ready. And there was no opportunity to find this out. So what you're seeing a lot more of actually in rugby is players going out on loan to smaller clubs but clubs are those grizzled old veterans so they can learn their trade which is what amateurs do it's just that you get a you know a hundred or so bouts against guys like that before the public ever get to see you so i think boxing is actually a really good predictor of talent whereas i think with football they struggle in this country rugby they struggle and you know when i when i got this question it, the, the example used was sam burgess being able to switch from rugby league to rugby union they're essentially the same sport, but if you notice, Burgess struggled with the intellectual side of rugby. The physical side was easy. He didn't understand what he needed to do in a ruck, he didn't understand what he needed to do in a mall or a lineup. He just didn't. So they basically recruited this guy to just run at people and tackle them, which are the only common skills between rugby union and rugby league. So you end up with you end up back where you started. Where you you say, actually, yeah, amateur boxing is a really good predictor of future success. And it does that because simply in the amateurs, once you're above a certain level, you can't avoid fighting the best or the biggest or the scariest. And that's one of the beauties of tournament boxing. But hopefully this is an answer. And we, you know, if we come back to that discussion around 2008, it's just a reminder that a lot can happen from pre-Olympic hype to professional success. A lot of it may, may just be down to the gods. So there's a big element of luck. And, you know, if you're a boxer out there listening to this, you have to be lucky and definitely lucky with injuries. And then you've got to be lucky with your promotion. Then lucky with management. And then lucky with a trainer. Because all of these things will determine how far you can go, even before you've had to get up at 5am to go running. So remember, yeah, it's not easy going from successful amateur to successful pro, but it seems to be quite lucrative and rewarding. But as always, guys, look, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. I know I've probably forced a lot of content down your throat over the last three or four days. Some people will like it, some people say it's too much, so apologies. But this one's definitely one for the hardcores only. You're, you're not going to derive much entertainment out of this one, this is just for the hardcores. So, thanks for tuning in. As always, 
subscribe like share on instagram at highfield boxing on twitter at highfield boxing keep in touch and have a great day guys thank you very much Thank you.